Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series dedicated to reflection on contemporary religious issues. In this episode, graduate student Emily Judd interviews Yale Divinity School professor Willie Jennings about religion and environmental justice. Professor Jennings clarifies the Christian perspective on humanity's place in the world. There, there is a priesthood uh, of the human creature in relationship to the other creatures. Jennings talks about his personal struggle to give up eating meat and why carnivores should be conscious of meat consumption. I think it's incumbent upon we who are meat eaters to understand the sacredness of the gift of life that we're taking if we eat meat. And Professor Jennings also explains how racial justice and environmental justice are deeply intertwined. Race and place are two sides of the same coin. When you turn land into dirt, you can then turn people into races. Welcome, Professor Jennings, to the Quadcast. Quadcast, that's wonderful. (laughs) Your course, Doctrine of Creation, that you're teaching this semester, helps students construct an eco-theological perspective of God's creation. What does this type of theology look like? An eco-theological vision of creation begins with a deep sense of connectivity. It then moves to uh, a profound awareness that the world is animate and communicative. And this is very important because all Western education is built upon the idea that the world is not animate and not communicative. It is a object to be studied. It does not impact us in any way other than a kind of environmental impact. But in terms of interacting with our very being, our psyche, our understanding, um, our spiritual our spiritual sense, that's not a part of the dominant pedagogical vision of the Western Academy. Now, is there danger in examining environmental crises through the Christian theological lens? For instance, I actually had an Uber driver this morning um, who was driving me up to the Divinity School, and she said, oh, you study religion? What do you think about all these natural disasters, all these earthquakes, hurricanes going on? Um, Are these signs of the apocalypse? (laughs) And um, do you think that viewing environmental disasters through the Christian theological lens would that kind of fuel the idea of the world ending and that humankind has no role to play in saving the planet? There are some who have been shaped in Christian communities that teach, crudely put, that all this is going to pass away, all this is going to burn in a holy fire, all this is going to collapse, and God has planned it that way so that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, a, a kind of reboot. And so therefore we shouldn't have to be that concerned. And so they look at um, the effects of climate change. They look at the extremes of the weather. They look at um, the, the mounting level of pure trash that is drowning this world and think, okay, no big deal. God's going to save us. God's going to save us from that. Unfortunately, the problem there is that it's a bad eschatology and it's also a bad understanding of themselves as creatures. And on top of that, it's a really narrow vision of the God who creates, a God who has never ceased to love the creation. And so the problem with, with both those ways of looking at it, the way, the way in which 
um, our goal is to simply, our, our mandate, if you will, is to simply dominate, use, extract what we need, and God wants it that way, or the idea that God's going to destroy this anyway and give us a new one to do the same thing with. <laughs> Both of these are bad theological ideas. Now, your students mm-hmm. in Doctrine of Creation analyzed Pope Francis's encyclical mm-hmm. letter titled yes. Laudato Si. Mm-hmm. Um, in the document, the Pope calls on us to think about how we are destroying our earthly home instead of caring for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he calls for an integral ecology to bring together people and planet. What are your thoughts on this theology or theological wrestling with ecology? I think it's absolutely wonderful. Um, We have to recognize the unprecedented nature of a papal encyclical that does this. And um, this Pope's incredible courage in talking about this in ways that for some, both within the Catholic Church and in other contexts, um, they're not happy about. Uh, they feel as though, some feel as though this is a sign of the Pope's, this Pope's indebtedness to a certain kind of liberal sensibility. But he's, I think he's actually not only speaking um, the proper word for the proper time, um, being led by the Spirit of God, as I, which is what I want to say about that, but also that um, the Pope is exactly right. Um a, a, a healthy doctrine of creation understands that we are creatures with other creatures. And so any vision of our life that negates our connection to other creatures, any vision that suggests that because we are created in the image of God, we are no longer creatures, is deeply problematic. Now, the human creature is the creature that is called to respond to the Word of God. And in that way, to, to quote um, John Calvin, there, there is a priesthood uh, of the human creature in relationship to the other creatures. But that priesthood means that we lead the other creatures in the worship of God, not that we are kings over the other creatures. But what it also means is that we are co creatures. We're creatures with other creatures. And so the Pope's plea for an integrative vision is one that is very sound, deeply connected to the deepest, to the deepest sensibilities of the Christian tradition, and one that would be really important for us to figure out. If I could take all divinity school students on a trip anywhere, I would want to take them to places that produce our food, to load students up on buses or, or, or cars or something, or walk them, if you will, but take them someplace where they can watch um, the killing of chickens, the, the herding of cattle, the, the way in which they are um, treated, you know, even, even um, the animals that are, you know, free range, but still to understand the gravity of taking a life in order to eat. I think it's incumbent upon we who are meat eaters to understand the sacredness of the gift of life that we're taking if we eat meat. And um, certainly it should cause us to pause and think, should we really eat meat every day of the week, every meal of every day? And equally important, might we not listen to the wisdom of so many indigenous peoples, past and present, for whom eating the life 
eating another creature, taking the life of another creature, require two things. One, a deep respect and honor and a seeking of permission from the creatures to eat them. And then second, a promise that none would be wasted, no food would be wasted. What made you choose to continue to eat meat? It, it is, it is <laughs> I always tell people, that there, there's a story that's behind that for me. I had a dear friend who um, is an a, a ethicist. We were in grad school together, and he worked on me every day about being a vegetarian on theological grounds, and we used to run to together. And um, he had me convinced. I mean, he had me utterly convinced. And then one day we were running, and I, st- we st- I stopped halfway through the run, and I said, you know, you have me convinced, but I can't give a meat. And he said, why not? I said, fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot give a fried chicken. <laughs> But it, but it is it is um, it is a matter of taste and and um, aesthetics. But the truth is, I'm going to work like so many others at very serious um, meat uh, consumption um, in terms of reducing. I'm going to try to reduce my meat consumption very ser- very seriously. In addition to your work on the environment, mm-hmm. you're known for groundbreaking mm-hmm. work on race and theology. How do these scholarly interests of yours overlap? When it comes to the environment, what's at stake for African Americans? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when it comes to race, what's at stake for the environment? Well, I am, over the years, I've um, tried to help people see that um, race and place are two sides of the same coin. That um, the, the formation of the idea of race, the vision of our lives as raced beings, is tied inextricably to the development of private property. And the reason it's tied inextricably is because race develops when you strip people from land as having anything to do with their identity. When you turn land into dirt, you can then turn people into races. Wow. Can you say that again? Yes. When you turn land into dirt, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you can then turn people into races. This is what makes race so powerful because race functions for us the way land used to function for so many of the world's people and still for many of the world's people. That's not to say people didn't have um, markers of identification that were a part of their body, but it was not apart from the land. So... Their bodies and the land were one. The animals and their lives were one. They were family with the animals. So to understand who they were, you had to understand where they were. To understand how they thought, you had to understand why they thought about the land here this way. So the, now the difficulty in the Western Academy and those who studied who, and who continue to study matters of race, ethnicity, and culture, and those who study um, geography, land, ecology, the environmental crisis, the problem is that they, they do these things in separate parts of the university, never thinking that they should be talking to each other. Except at Yale Divinity School. Except at Yale Divinity School, where they understand that these two things are bound, tied, and inextricably Uh, must be thought together. For Yale Divinity School, Mm -hmm. salvation has taken on an additional meaning, Mm -hmm. actually saving the planet. 
a living village residential community housing 150 YDS students uh, is in the works and it will derive all of its energy from the sun and all of its water from on-site rainfall. We have a new Masters of Arts and Religion concentration in religion and ecology, Mm -hmm. which was launched last fall. How are you involved in YDS's commitment to sustainability? I am very excited about this this village and I'm I'm hoping that with more donor support more people will see the importance of this that we can complete it it's a it's a fabulous idea and um, what it would mean for YDS is that um, we could offer to the rest of not only the university but to um, you know others involved in theological education across the planet um, a model of a possibility of thinking um, in a much more sustained way about life in the world that has theological weight. And I'm also excited about the new programming that we have here and, of course, the students who are coming. I'm, I'm glad to be a part of faculty here and at the School of the uh, Forestry and the Environment who are um, really eager to welcome these students who are wanting to think very seriously about their faith, about ecology, about the matters near and dear to me, the relationship between ecology and geography and race, and who really want to do something different. Uh, They won't be a part of the problem. They'll actually be a part of the solution, nor will they be people who we have to convince (laughs) that there's a connection between these things. So I I am thrilled. My hope is that we can um, get more donors who can see um, the incredible potential of having this kind of building in a major university and it being a place where that it'll do, it'll do two things for us, right? One, it'll have a tremendous pedagogical purpose for students, but it'll also have a tremendous pedagogical purpose for so many people in the country and in, in the wider community, global community, who can come to YDS and see it actually being done. And then start to imagine what would it mean to have an entire university that was sustainable in this way? What would it mean to rethink geography, to rethink the built environment, neighborhoods, and other communities that actually function with the world as though the world matters? And not create buildings that constantly show ourselves to be extractors and never givers. So it's it's very exciting. Well, Professor Jennings, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining the quadcast today. Glad I love to this here. conversation. <laughs> thank you so much. Glad to be here.